Hallelujah. I think it'd be good to start out with having a fresh drink of the blood of the new covenant. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for everything we need for life and godliness in this cup. Jesus Christ said to his disciples, This is the cup of the new and everlasting covenant. Drink it, all of you, whenever you remember me. Don't let anyone say we don't take communion. Communion is union with Christ in you. The bewitched say, oh, where's the wafers and the Welch's juice? I tell you what. I have bread you don't know about. <laughs> Five loaves and two fishes, matter of fact. We got fit with your fishes. Where are your two fishes? It's okay fish. if you need communion on the outside. That's why we got water baptism on the outside. But after you get water baptism on the outside, make sure you go right into the living water baptism on the inside. Out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. But of this he spoke of the Holy Ghost. There's a little disclaimer there at the end if you read it, John 7:38. Only for those who believe. Amen. We believe. <laughs> we believe. You believe. You believe. You believe in more every day. Yes. I believe the enemy is a defeated snake. Somehow the beast or the enemy was given a voice. And we are here to silence the voice of the enemy with the gospel. You will not always have both voices in the garden. Jesus Christ said, my sheep hear my voice. But then when a sower sows seed, an enemy comes and sows a different seed. For it is written, an enemy has done this. Until the enemy's works are obliterated in the voice, in the vibration, in the color, in the light, and in the sound. Tell you what, no one else is here to deal with it except the Christians. No one else has the ability to deal with the devils and their voices, their influence, their sins, their temptations, their words, vibrations, their false light, their false Christianity, except the born-again believer who has become a disciple of Christ through continuous crucifixion of the self-nature and manifestation of the living water nature. What does it mean to be born again? John chapter 3, born above of water and spirit, it is written. Can a man enter his mother's womb a second time? Listen, the mother's womb a second time is the womb of the Holy Ghost, the brooding Mother hen introduced in Genesis chapter 1, brooding over the chaos. We need the Holy Ghost now more than ever. Mm -hmm. What is the climax of the ages? Works of the devil? Yeah, no doubt about it. You're dealing with it right now. But it's also the climax of the ability of the Holy Ghost, which you've never seen before. In fact, I do not believe there is a Pentecostal on earth that can even imagine the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't believe you can even pray or expect or imagine the ability of the Holy Ghost. Why? The Bible says so. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard what God has in store for those who love Him. And in another place, there is a dunamis power working in you that far exceeds all expectation, hope, or anything you could believe or pray for. And it's working in you 
by the power of the Holy Ghost. Now he needs to work all the way through your hearts, our hearts, in dealing with the continuous confrontation. Now, the Bible says when Satan tempted Jesus, he went away forever. Until an opportune time. Which means when you have a business deal. When you're talking with a family member. When you're dealing with a religious person. When you're dealing with your own DNA and familiar spirits and areas of weak points. An opportune time. This is how it works for those redeemed by grace. Jesus had a perfect DNA structure because he was conceived of the Holy Ghost. You have it in your spirit. Now you deal with that refinement in your soul and your flesh continuously, and His grace is enough for you. Which means the serpents in the garden, which are lies and seeds of the enemy, are looking for holes. What did Jesus Christ say? Serpents have holes. Foxes have holes. Serpents have holes as well. A serpent hole is a place where the enemy has access into your soul, through places of flesh and carnal activity. The Jews called it the evil impulse. Crucify the impulse of the flesh, mm -hmm. it is written. And I also heard the Spirit say also through woundedness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mistreatment of the soul is an open hole for the enemy to access. So these access points are what we're doing to patch you up. Getting healed by the Holy Ghost, the brooding of the Holy Spirit, is to heal the holes in your garments. Okay? Without spot or wrinkle or without hole in the garment, which means the enemy has no access. What did Jesus Christ say in the Garden of Gethsemane? Satan's coming, but he has no access into me. There's no holes. Right? That's what's written. Now when Satan comes to you in the opportune time, holes will be exposed in your mindsets and your belief systems in your opinions in your culture in your gender male and female strongholds are huge especially all the lies that this generation is dealing with and so our our identity is not completely hidden in christ yet but through the gospel and the constant renewal of our mind every hole of enemy access will be blocked out from serpent entry in Jesus' name. How do we allow enemies to be blocked out? You know what? That gate gets the word of God inscribed upon it. The clothing of Jesus Christ is the clothing of the gospel or the Torah. Same exact thing. Jesus brought the gospel, the good news, which is his Torah, as a rabbi, and it's important you understand that because it's a legal system established for thousands of years in the heavens. Every government on planet Earth is based on the law of Moses. Did you know that? Been established for hundreds and hundreds of years. That's why nearly every single military, police, if you look at them, they have the Star of David on them. It's the legal system established mm -hmm. by Moses and a legalism that rules the nations right now. Jesus has not come to do away with Moses, but to fulfill it, which is the Torah of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. That teaching is what fulfills the law, which means you're no longer under the law. You fulfilled it by going through it. 
And if you haven't used the gospel to go through the law, I tell you the truth, you've never walked in real Christianity yet. Christians often say, I'm not under the law, but there's no fulfillment of the law through the teachings of Jesus activated in their spirit, so they're absolutely still under the law, and the only thing they live in is in a delusional teaching about grace mm -hmm. in their carnal mind. Big difference, guys, than a spirit that's been resurrected by the way, the truth, and the life to the Father, or someone that just has the teaching in their brain. The mm -hmm. teaching in the brain is delusion. The resurrection is the establishment of the wisdom in the celestial realm. Revelation 5.10 They shall rule with me, Jesus Christ now speaking, Revelation 5.10 They shall rule with me for a thousand years from the heavens, that's what it says, over the earth. So the fulfillment of the law of Moses is ruling from over the earth instead of on the earth or under the heavens. Amen. Mm, amen. That's so good. That grace, right? That's the difference between delusional grace, which is simply a teaching or belief system, versus true grace. True grace is what flows down from the crown of the Father, like that lightning stream of living water, living fire of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God from wisdom. Because true and pure wisdom comes down from above, and all things come down through wisdom right look at proverbs and read the book of proverbs wisdom there in the beginning at the creation of the world so you know all these things come through the living god the word of god the holy spirit and all things are built in this world through wisdom all those good and perfect things coming down from above including grace which as we know is said. well what is the difference between delusional grace i just believe it in my head it's just a belief system i have it's just a religion Grace causes you to rise. So as you increase in grace, you're going to be rising. What, you know, how much grace, how fast, how quickly we learn. It's that grace to rise. Rising with the grace. Grace causes you to rise. Grace. Also, not only does it cause you to rise, it also causes you to be able to choose your master. That's written in the word of God. You can look it up. Right now, in your, you know, iPad Bibles or your online on Google, grace allows you to choose your master. Grace is what allows you to choose your master. That's written in the Word of God. So, when you receive grace, it's time to change the mindset, you know, from what other people have taught us in the past what grace was, versus grace causes me to rise. It's resurrection power. It's the undeserved grace of Jesus Christ, because no one deserves to rise except for Jesus. But if you receive the grace, he gives grace to who? The humble. He gives grace to the humble, which means it takes humility to rise. Humility, grace, love for the Father. It's all the things that cause to go up. I can feel that fire shooting on the top of my head while we're talking about it. Thank you, Holy Ghost. He likes it, and we like him. And, uh, yeah, it's nice. Understand grace is only hidden inside the Word of God. There's no grace. Mm -hmm. You can study the history of the world. There was no grace in the world except through God's Word. So anyone who's not in agreement with the truth, and His Word is truth, has no grace. Mm -hmm. And so they're legalistic, they're poisonous, they're bitter, they're nasty. Mm -hmm. They're like 
serpents because a serpent doesn't have any grace. There's no grace to fallen angels. Grace is only to the recipients of the salvation of Jesus Christ through faith in that name. So the measure of grace you have working in your spirit, the spirit of grace, is how much of the word of God you actually agree with and believe in you. Acts 20.32, the word of grace is able to sanctify you and set you apart for the inheritance of those fully sanctified and raised from the dead. So there is a sanctification of the word of grace, an impartation and a resurrection to get the inheritance you'll never deserve, but Jesus is glad to share with you because he's your creator and he wants you in the higher realms where there's peace and prosperity. He doesn't want you in the lower realms in the constant suffering with sinners and animals and demons and wickedness and strife and the curse of working by the sweat of your brow. He wants you up in the angelic realms working by the fruit of your lips, which is a cooperation with the truth of God's energy. These higher realms have all the energy. As it's written, his superhuman energy is able to be enkindled and mightily work within you, Colossians 1 says. So there is an impartation every time you hear the word, if you hear it with your heart. That's why it says, do not harden your hearts when you hear the word of God, for today is the day of salvation. Why does hearing come from the heart and it's not just hardening your ears? Why? Because unless the word is deposited into your spirit, there's no salvation. There's no light and there's no actual grace. Therefore, in order to have the impartation of the resurrection, the grace of the Lord Jesus, which is superhuman energy enkindled and working in you, you have to learn how to eat the word of God into the invisible person of the heart. I have learned in ministry through continuous suffering most believers have no idea how to feed their spirit and they're bewitched and trying to feed their brain. They say, give me the gospel into my brain and when the animal is not satisfied on the teaching for their brain because they identify with the flesh, they go away sad, angry, offended. They get their feelings hurt. They wanted success in the old Adamic nature. God will not grant success to that nature. Only demons do. They want the bread of demons for a success in the flesh. God grants us success in the born again of water and spirit nature, which is called your innermost being. The truth is, most Christians who have ever lived have never discovered their innermost being. Since the conception of this ministry in 2006, that's the only part of you we've ever ministered to. That's why most go away sad. They want carnal Christianity. What they're actually hungry for, people, is witchcraft. Truth anyhow. But when the spirit's fed, the enemy gets dead. Crushed under your heel of what? The light of the foot of your spirit. Now you have a spirit body. But sadly, the curse of the fall has locked up the spirit body inside your soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions. And your soul is locked up inside your flesh, which is your brain, bones, and heart, and organs. So we need 
our entire soul and flesh completely crucified for our spirit man to take over. And the only way that's ever going to happen is if you learn how to eat and digest the gospel and its ingredients, its nutrients, its food. What did Jesus Christ call the word? What did he call his teaching? Bread. Mm. What was the most common staple of food in the diets of Israel 2,000 years ago? Bread and fishes. Okay? So it was the very thing that kept you alive that Christ said was inside the nutrients of his words. So until we know how to digest those nutrients, what's going to happen? Your spirit's mm. going to be underfed and your flesh overfed. So you're looking for answers and help and salvation in the wrong dimension where salvation does not exist. The source of salvation is from where? Bible tells you, out of your innermost being flows the rivers of the Garden of Eden. The realm of salvation is heaven, where there's no sin and no demons. That realm is shared inside the package of the gospel of the Word of God. If you never find it inside your spirit, you never find heaven. And so most Christians go around here and have what's called an earthly Christianity. That, my friends, is the whore of Babylon. What you are dealing with is a people that have not yet discovered the kingdom. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you let me in, I'll come into you and we will fellowship and eat. Eat. Notice, he's writing to an apostolic church of miracles, signs, and wonders in Revelation 2 and 3. And none of them were God inside minded. None of them had discovered how to eat yet. Well, I thought maybe when John came to my church and Paul, who comes to my church and planted my church, surely I'd know how to eat. Jesus Christ said otherwise. <clears throat> I'm standing at the door. You've never come to the feast table, which means they were only listening with their senses. They were only hearing with their human reasoning, which was zero eating. They had never, ever eaten before into the born again part of them. Yet they had the glory cloud. They did. Yet they had miracles, signs, and wonders. Guys, even the dead were raised. But they had never <coughs> eaten before, according to the Bible. We are dealing with the people that don't know how to feast with the Lamb of God. What is the promised land in Revelation? The marriage, what? Supper. Of people that finally know how to eat and digest the nutrients, which is grace. What are the nutrients of the Word of God? Grace. Magical beings. Energy. Light. True light. Power. Dominion. Gemstones. Gold and silver. Believers rewards. Notice it says believers. So there needs to be something believed upon in order to have the rewards. And what are the rewards? Energy resurrection power outflowing to the digested word of the inner man of the heart when it's digested there is an energy that raises you up which means man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes down from god it is written mm. have you learned to live in your spirit for god is spirit have you learned to image bear God as spirit by digesting the word into your spirit. You know what the problem is? 
carnality. What is it to be carnal? It's easy to point at that faction, all these Southern Baptists, they condemn speaking in tongues, they are carnal Christians. Yes, they are, and so are you. <laughs> so are we. Everyone, guys, in their entire human nature is dealing with carnality. That's what keeps us meek and humble. The weaknesses of the flesh, the thorn in the side of Paul. Paul is preaching perfect, inerrant scripture. He's writing the Bible and still is imperfect in his flesh according to his own letter. I tell you what, you know what that does? Makes you humble and careful to consider the release of the word full of the energy of grace to save others so you yourselves can stay saved. Amen? So you're dealing with the weakness of the flesh. What does the Bible say? Spirit willing, flesh is weak. You know, the promise to the end time generation is that their flesh will be invincible and a different type of flesh, the flesh that is completely transfigured by the Word of God. That's written in Philippians 3.21. That you will put on the same exact celestial flesh as Jesus Christ. It's different. It's not human flesh. Right now you have the weakness of human flesh. And the weakness of human flesh is the garments of humility. It's a garment of weakness, yet when we are weak, he is strong. So during this time, while you wear human flesh, you must rely on the strength of the Spirit of Jesus Christ working in your hearts. Mm. You guys want to know how to get the thorn out of your flesh? Yes. <laughs> so some of people nodding like, yes, I want to know. Yes, Rebecca, tell us. This is really cool. Is I, On this one, I'm speaking from experience. I've had a thorn in my flesh. That was one that was like, you know, for probably most of my life. And anytime I would ask the Lord about it, he would say, my grace is enough. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So I kind of just stopped asking a little bit. And then it continued my journey. And then I eventually went back to asking about it again. But it comes down to, there are different ways for humility to be formed in the vessel. The most common one is... Uh, a fall from pride, like sin, that humbles us, or the fact that we're uh, a fallen creature that humbles us. If you check out uh, Andrew Murray's uh, Humility, it's definitely on our recommended reading list. It's one of those books. I highly recommend you check it out if you haven't. If you have read it before, it's always uh, good for a revisit on that. Or um, if you like audiobooks like I do, they have... There's one audiobook that has, like, multiple... I think like three different books of his, including humility and like teach us how to pray. And if you're doing like a humility intensive, you just put that audible on loop and just go, it's like 12 hours of humility intensive. So that's really good. Really enjoy that. But that flesh, it's always going to be there as long as it's that sin that humbles you. Well, the humility that Andrew Murray talks about, he talks about there's a greater grace. Uh, there's a greater humility. And part of the revelation that he speaks of is that it's actually grace that humbles us more than the sinful flesh or fall from sin. That's how we start out, right? In our immaturity, in our carnality. Like, didn't Paul even say, at first, I preached to you out of the infirmity of the flesh? That's why there was a thorn in the flesh. 
So I went about asking the Lord if there was a way, and I knew it was a thorn in my flesh. I had so many confirmations. I asked the Lord again and again and again, is it possible for me to learn this lesson to receive humility in a greater way than this experience, which I can ex I can receive that, I can make peace with that. But what I was seeing in Andrew Murray's writings was saying that there was a higher way. That I didn't have to be in that school of hard knocks. I didn't have to be in that school of the thorn of my flesh. And sure enough, as soon as I started pressing into those things, those mysteries, that greater grace, it's actually the goodness of the grace of God humbles you more than that, you know, everyone around you is pretty much as you're rising, waiting and hoping for you to fall from sin. Like, oh, they just need humbled. That's the evil assessment. The assessment that, oh, they just need to be humbled. Anytime you think that about someone else, you're evil. That's evil. You shouldn't be thinking about Christians that way. You shouldn't be thinking about your brothers and sisters that way. You're evil, and you are getting that from the enemy. That's how Satan thinks, and that's how you think. It's satanic. In that area of your life, Satan's actually your father. And the judgments that you use, it's going to be used against you. So be careful how you judge one another. Because anytime you find yourself looking at a brother and sister in Christ, even more so it's amplified if they're learning righteousness, walking in righteousness, or even walking in holiness. Oh, they just need humbled. You're waiting for them. You know, they just, because you can see that there's still some pride there. So you think, I'm right. I need, they just need humbled. I would not be very careful with that. Repent of that immediately because guess what? If you start wishing that upon others, guess what's going to happen to you? Because that's a satanic way of thinking. Now, it might be true, and people think they're reinforced in that satanic belief because what happens is they see the person get humbled from a fall from sin. They did have pride. But there's a better way. So they feel self-justified. I knew it. They just needed humbled. They're so much more humble now. They needed that. They just needed that. No, you're a satanic Christian and you don't have the heart of the Father. And that's why you're never going to go past the level that you're at unless you repent and change your ways and change your thoughts and change your heart attitude towards those around you. And once you start thinking like that and feeling in your heart towards others that way, it completely changes the game. You're not even the same kind of person anymore. And all the angels and God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit treat you differently than they did before. Oh, is it special treatment? Yes, it is. Because you're, you stop thinking like a demon and you start thinking more like God. That's his heart is that goodness would lead them to repentance. That grace that gives you the humu humility. It's grace that humbles more than if you fell. That grace, when it's true grace and not false grace, not greasy grace, but the true grace that causes you to rise on sapphire stones, God has a better way of dealing with our issues than what we've seen. And it removes, it has the power to remove that thorn out of your flesh. You can learn that way. Most people learn the hard way. But I realized and I found out for myself, you don't have to. You switch your mindset to working with God, alongside with Him, instead of it's me versus God, me versus God, my animal flesh versus God, and versus everyone else. And they just, you know, that whole mindset of they just need humbled, they just need, they just need, we just gotta test them and attack the prophets and the If you spend so much trying trying to test everything so intensely that you start attacking the prophets, 
God will just lessen what you get out of it. Okay, fine. You don't want it? Somebody else. Somebody else. I'll, 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 we'll, we'll make you into something good, but it's not going to be as good as it was. Now, that might be horrifying for you to hear that. But the good news is, you can change today. You can change your heart, your mindset, your attitude towards God and towards others. And give others the grace that others never gave to you. That others, they didn't know. They didn't know it was available. They didn't understand these things of wisdom. So when you're tested, part of the test, and I know this is a Joseph, thank you. I know this is a Joseph company. So if, you, if you've had a Joseph experience and your brothers threw you into a pit, you decide, I'm going to be the Joseph when I rise, that I won't hold it against them. I will love them. I will provide for them. I will give them the grace and the love that they could never give me. Because I was born of my father, of the sun and moon of Tiferet and Shekinah. But I had a right to get bitter and angry. <laughs> well... <laughs> Uh, How much inheritance do you want? It works against a lot of human beings. It could not work against Joseph, though. I mean, if there's any guy that's going to get bitter, being left for dead, thrown in a hole, and sold into slavery would be a pretty good excuse. Then framed for a crime you didn't even commit and thrown in prison. <laughs> so part of the, the provision for the palace is not getting bitter in what you go through. In fact, those higher callings require dealing with the wickedness of those around you. And what did Joseph deal with? His own brothers and his sister, Dinah. So you're dealing with your own brothers and sisters who don't have the divine nature formed in them, and yet they're the children of Israel. They're the children of God in whom the covenant belongs. But they're flawed, and they still have... Human characteristics, if you haven't noticed, you deal with that constantly. Bob Jones used to say, I don't even trust any Christian that hasn't been betrayed once or twice. Why? Because they haven't dealt with the Joseph situation of what's inside an imperfect Christian. That's the real test if you're going to be successful, if you're going to keep growing, is when you deal with the wickedness inside your own brothers and sisters and just get a sweet attitude. You have to listen. Joseph Company is the only company that advanced the kingdom. Where were the other 11? Doing nothing. Mm -hmm. There was nothing profitable in their lives, nor mentioned in Scripture, after they sold Joseph. If you read Genesis, the whole rest of the book is about Joseph. <laughs> the rest of them were just talking about the mercy of Joseph. If you read the 12 Patriarchs book, which was a highly esteemed scripture that Apostle Paul kept on him as a scroll his entire apostolic ministry, the book of the 12 patriarchs. Each one expresses their deep sympathy and how they treated Joseph ultimately as their savior, as their savior. So a lot of times these false brethren, they have an external Jesus savior. Have you noticed that? They're bewitched, they're worshiping an external Jesus Savior. And the ones in whom the Savior is formed, Joseph Company, they treat like trash. They throw them in a pit, they isolate, they neglect, they don't listen to their words. Do you think that's any different? Do you think God understands the human nature? It's exactly the same today as it was 4,000 years ago. The issue is, 
hopefully we get sweetened to become Joseph Company to advance the kingdom to save our wretched brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. Then what happens through the expression of grace formed in the Joseph Company? They get transformed by the demonstration of a man and woman sacrifice. Most believers will need that human demonstration. Very few can do what Joseph did to demonstrate it to others. That's what a leader in the New Covenant is. And every one of you is called to be a leader like Joseph. Amen. All right. Purity and sweetness. <laughs> Purity and sweetness. Understanding judgments. Well, how do you know who gets what judgment? Keep in mind this: these two things. Shechem died. That was his judgment. From heaven. Shechem died. But Judah was forgiven. Shechem died, but Judah was forgiven, the Spirit said. Those are judgments. The brothers are forgiven. And, well, let the wicked continue to be wicked. There's a day coming the wicked will be removed from the earth. But what did Joseph have? He was without sin and without offense. Without sin and without offense. Those are the two things the Spirit is focusing on forming within you. You can be without sin. You can even be made holy. And still deal with the offense of ways in which people have legitimately wronged you. And this is how many of the wicked operate. And I know many people experience this, especially when their families are wicked. They're they're wicked, they don't want the things of the glory, they don't want to serve God, they don't want anything to do with seeking God. They're just, it's, it's wickedness. And then you'll have someone in the family who is seeking God, who, who loves the Lord to the best that they're able, at the best of their ability, and they're seeking Him constantly. This is what you'll often see in those situations. The wicked person in the family will go to the person who's learning righteousness and will steal spiritual things from them and give them physical gifts and so what happens is if the person has any complaint or any issue that they want to try to bring it up how what do you mean this i've been so nice to you i provided for you i've given you a place to live i put a roof over your head i put bread on the table and ain't the bread of the presence that's for sure more like the bread of satan every night at the dinner table but thanks anyway at least my nefesh isn't dead you know, my vitality. And it's it, they steal and they siphon the spiritual things. And to try and make them complacent, they give them the gift of the physical things. That is extreme wickedness. And they try to have the appearance of being the good and kind and providing. If you are a thief of those invisible spiritual things, which if that person is seeking God, they have them. It's always the human nature of the enemy in that person, of wickedness, to steal. And they don't think they're doing anything wrong, or they justify, and they don't have wisdom, they don't see the invisible realm. They're just selfish, demon-possessed, living like an animal kind of a person. And they in self-righteousness, and they justify by giving physical gifts, or providing physical natural things, yet stealing from them spiritually and that is extreme wickedness and self-righteousness and there's a day that those activities do come to judgment and so you have to understand 
if you're someone who's in that kind of a situation, how to maintain and hold your peace and keep the pearls, the precious things, secret within the gates. You don't, there's nothing that you need to share. Oftentimes it'll happen, it'll manifest, there'll be an unbelieving spouse and a believing spouse or any other kind of family member. Because the only reason they're in your lives is because of relation, right? If it if that wasn't my mother-in-law, I'd never seen her again, you know. Or my if that wasn't my you know cousin on my sister's side, if that wasn't my child, my spouse, you know, whatever it is, I would never talk to them. But I'm stuck, you know. What test is it that you have to pass? And oftentimes people make the mistake of sharing the precious things. The wisdom, the revelations, trying to get them to pursue God in a higher way that they don't want to. And they won't. And if you share it, they attack it. Question it. Well, can you just prove it to me? And that's wickedness. If anyone attacks you when you start sharing wisdom, under the, even under the guise of testing it, they are not worthy of it. They don't deserve to hear that. They are. You can decide to cut them off from that because they're not worthy. They don't deserve to even hear those words of wisdom. It's not for them. All they'll do is steal with it and give you a physical thing. Well, guess what? You have garbage now. And they've stolen from you. So don't throw those precious things before swine. Otherwise, they'll what? Trample the pearls. And then tear you to pieces. Don't share those things. How will you know if someone's worthy? Here's a good test. Share with them a basic revelation that they probably already know. Something very easy. And share it as if it was, and it can be and is, one of the most fresh, beautiful, perfect revelation gemstones you've ever received in your life, and you present it to them as that. If they scoff at it, if they are haughty and pride, and the, you know, the all I, the I already knew that demon comes up. Mm -hmm. The I, I already. And that thing, or if they, they exalt themselves above you as if you could not bring them some revelation because they're so much higher than you. So much wiser than you. So much more educated in Greek school than you. So much more of a businessman or businesswoman or smarter than you. Well, that was your test and they failed, which means they do not deserve to hear that next thing that you would have shared with them. So find a community. There are places where there are people who are worthy to receive levels of revelation. And it's wisdom to know when and where and what things God has given you to share, where he wants you to share them, who he wants you to share them with, and the difference between those and those precious things he's given only to you to hide within you for a time and grow it until it becomes a beautiful plant. So it's wisdom to learn these things so that you can grow and you can help others to grow. And if that's a situation in your family, I would encourage you to get into the Red Letter Ministries Facebook group. And there, when God gives you revelation, you know you can't share it with those people in your family. You know they're gonna trample it. Stop trying to convince people to rise who don't want to see you. I love that was, um, the prophet Shadrach posted, I think it was today or this week, stop trying to help those people rise who never wanted to see you at the top. 
you don't you're not obligated to be the nice nice false love Christian trying to help everybody rise you put out the words that God gives you and if they want to rise then great they'll go for it they're gonna have to put in that effort to do it it's not your job to go down and baby everyone and try and okay we're all gonna do this together you have to have the grit and the determination that it is more of a perfect love for you to go up and fulfill the Father's will over what everyone else thinks that you need to do, wants you to do. Get a grid and, an, and a clear vision for what God is asking you to do. And you rise. The higher you go, you're going to be able to help more people rise because your words are going to illuminate those steps for them to go up. And if they don't, if they don't really want anything to do with it, I've just described to you how they're going to act and receive your words. So choose carefully. Amen. I've noticed too amongst the, the Joseph Company, last 17 years, working with all kinds of people at different levels of relationship with Jesus Christ, that if the enemy can't get you bitter through betrayal, slander, gossip, abuse, all the things you do with mistreatment, with animal sinners and unrenewed minds and beast foreheads and if they can't get you bitter at the animal or at your own brothers and sisters, the temptation and the slander of the character assassination is relentless. It's relentless. Even though Joseph committed no crime, even though you can't say he was without sin, but the scriptures say in Genesis that he refused Potiphar's wife, yet he was charged as guilty in the eyes of all the people as an immoral man. He was the most moral man in the universe, guys. Okay? Joseph, if you read the Bible, was the most moral person in the world. Yet, he was charged as an adulterer and did years in prison as an immoral person in the eyes of all the people. And he was never expunged from it his whole life. They didn't say, oh, we were wrong about you. Later on when he takes the palace, it's not written in the word. What got him into the palace wasn't even that his clean record of his past and just cleaning up his past and his, his character image in front of the people. That's not what promoted him. It was the divine ability coming forth through him in the interpretation of dreams, which is a spiritual excellence that was birthed out of his purity that had been slandered and mocked and destroyed by the enemy. But the ability was still there and used successfully, which brought him the promotion later on. Which means God's means of promoting you is not looking good in the eyes of others. Christians nowadays think it's about what does his character look like in front of others. You know, one thing, I heard Rick Joyner say this, and Bob Con uh, Bobby Connor and uh, Bob Jones, they've all said this. I've heard this said many times by the prophets in previous generations. To operate in the anointing, it costs you respectability. If your character has not been destroyed by liars, there's no anointing on your life. If your character has not been smeared across the wide earth as an evil person, a bad person, you are no anointed person from God. You will not find a person in Scripture, even Jesus Christ. Y'all believe he's perfect. They called him a drunkard, a glutton, a sinner, a false Christ. 
They called him a cult leader. They called him every slanderous word imaginable. They even called him every other name you can imagine. And he's God, and he was perfect, and he never lied, exaggerated, never had a lustful side in his heart. And they still killed him as a criminal. Hello? Hello? How will they treat anyone who obeys the Holy Spirit? Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 5, the same exact way. Are you being treated that way? Or are you just coasting and smooth through life? You're in the wide path of destruction, buddy. You're no dent to the enemy whatsoever, no threat to demons whatsoever. When the divine nature is taken seriously in your heart and in your mind, that's when your character begins to be assassinated because that's all the enemy can do. That's the price we pay for the anointing. Later on, it'll be the divine nature formed in us that ruled over them. In the meantime, you pay the price for the Joseph mantle. And don't think there's any other mantle down here except Jesus Christ represented in Joseph. All this other mantle stuff is nonsense. I labor amongst you tirelessly until Elijah's mantle be fully formed in you. Jesus be fully formed in you, it is written. And there will be different portions of Jesus, the Bible says. God visited the earth and gave gifts, portions of himself to men, is what it says in the Amplified Classic. You don't get the whole thing. People say, I got all of God. Well, where is all of God in you? I don't see you sitting on the golden throne. You got a down payment. Now, how much 30, 60, 100 fold you do with it depends on you, buckwheat. How much of him or how much of you? What'd you do with the seed? That's the only thing God's going to ask you on Judgment Day. What did you do with what I gave you? Isn't that the parables of the talents in every single teaching of Jesus Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? I gave you talents. I gave you seeds. I gave you deposits of my divine nature, measurements of grace, into your spiritual stomach. Did you reproduce after my own kind? God measures fruitfulness. Mm. God is a greedy businessman. Oh, no, that's what the Bible says. God's a greedy businessman. Greedy with what? Not money, riches, or fame, or anything like of sin. Greedy in the fruitfulness of his nature formed in us. That's why it's written, lust after spiritual gifts. Which means these are the areas you are to develop mm -hmm. like a greedy businessman. God's abilities. God's nature. Amen? Amen. Why did he say, be perfect, if he wasn't <laughs> expecting you to become perfect? Oh, that was just... An... God doesn't exaggerate. He's not a liar. He's not a liar. What does it say about the Lord? So if this is his kind... And his seed is being reproduced in you, and he is expecting you to become perfect. What is his own kind? What can, what can this tree expect to look like in maturity? How glorious he is. He is the rock. His work is perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is faithful without sin. But Israel has become corrupt. Smeared with sin, they are no longer his. They are a stubborn, twisted generation. Is this the way you treat Jehovah? Oh, foolish people. It's in Deuteronomy 32. Mm. What kind is perfect? What kind of tree? I see all men as trees. What kind of perfect creator, God, sperm genetics, is without sin and without offense? It's the divine nature. 
and if we are actually to become partakers of the divine nature, that means as you rise, you will see every familiar sin pattern, area of weakness, turn into a strength instead of a weakness. As you rise, the weaknesses turn into strengths. Old sin patterns that used to be rep repeated, repetitive sin patterns, do not exist. It doesn't happen anymore because it's not a temptation anymore. Because that existence of that nature, the nature of that animal that was subject to that temptation, doesn't exist anymore. This We're talking about permanent changes as you rise on sapphire stones. Through all of your spirit, then through the layers of your soul, and as it starts to get into your flesh, in the light of a candle, the light goes ahead of the candle, right? The spirit goes before you, with you, and behind you. And so as we receive grace, it allows us to choose our master. So when you face a moment of temptation, test the familiar spirits, especially if you gain back something from the enemy that the enemy had stolen, now you know that your very next test is likely going to be to the enemy checking to see if you value what you got back. How much did you value that? Are you going to make the same mistakes that caused you to lose that? Or are you going to treasure it and defend it viciously? How much are you willing to suffer under the pressure of temptation and not cave into temptation? That is the measure you actually love God. The measure you actually care for Him. Not in imagination or what you wish and grace just abounds, but it's the measure that you actually love Him. No more and no less. And those familiars, you can always count on them to come back around and test. And once you face and you pass so many tests in a certain area, they tend to stop testing you because they know they're not going to win. And they move on to trying something else. As you overcome, if you stand your ground and you keep rising, those old repetitive sin patterns will not even happen or exist in your life. And that's the truth. And that's what we want you walking in on sapphire stones. I feel so much fire, the Holy Ghost right now. The fire, that very fire of the Holy Spirit himself, the man of fire within us, is a witness to you today what I'm saying. It's available. Do you want it? Do you want to walk in it? Ask, ask and you shall receive. Ask for it. Ask him for it right now. Ask him for it. Let him know that you want it. Whatever it takes to grow in love, to learn how to love God. If you love him, he said, what? You obey my commands. So every area of disobedience, every area of familiar sin and repetitive sin patterns is an area where God is not loved, but Satan is loved. So despise that. Learn to hate every wicked way inside of you. And you'll grow in wisdom and confidence, seeking for wisdom like one searches. Gold and silver, gemstones and rubies, priceless pearls. And that fire will burn out every unclean, every unholy thing. His love is jealous. He has a jealous love for you. Even for thousands of years, the Jewish people in all the writings have understood that if a man loves a woman and he's not jealous of her, if she would speak to another man, if he's not jealous of that, he doesn't actually love her. 
What is that a picture of? The God that we serve, the God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Every love should be jealous. What's a telltale sign that we live in a wicked, immoral, depraved society in a wicked, perverse generation? Every single one of these singles that are ready to mingle, they all say the same thing. They say that, oh, jealousy is a red flag. Don't be jealous. Well, I'm not jealous. They value someone who's not jealous. Well, God says the complete opposite, so break that thing. He's a jealous God. He's not jealous and envious of your belongings. He's jealous that you would be faithful to him. He's jealous when it's an unfaithful bride. You read through the whole Old Testament, that's when the wrath comes out. Is infidelity, unfaithfulness. That is, he's slow to anger, he's patient, he's forgiving. Even the story of Hosea and his wife, a whore, a prostitute, chance after chance. That redeeming love, that's his nature. But what do we also see in Israel's past? If they continue in the ways of whoredom and unfaithfulness to God, it does not end well. It does not go well. There is a judgment, and he will have his justice, but he wants to give us his mercy. And it's written in Song of Songs that that jealousy, he's a jealous lover. Any relationship in Babylon the Great where the woman isn't jealous of the man and the, je the man isn't jealous of the woman, it's not actually love. Of course, the Jews already knew this for thousands of years because they know the Torah, the written word of God. And in Song of Songs, it is written that it is alone the jealous love of God that is stronger than death. And it's missing in this perverse generation. Love stronger than the grave. The jealous love of God that Phineas wielded that spear. And he brought justice. And he enabled the people of God to move on to where they were destined to go. It's the only thing stronger than death. And it's love. So much fire. Thank you, Lord. Mm. Yeah, love stronger than death is God's jealousy for your spirit to bear his image once again. Bear it down here in the earth, it'll bear every other spirit's image. Those are your other lovers, your paramours. And y'all got them. The issue is there's an altar to kill them on. And so daily, the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, righteousness, and coming judgment to kill and slaughter the other images you bear and are intimate with through spiritual adultery. And there's an altar to slaughter all spirits you're committing adultery with. See, that's what judging the thoughts are. In this perverse generation, you can have an external holiness, but God sees the heart, which means he's looking for the perfection of the union of Jesus Christ with the whole spirit. What the Apostle Paul said, his testimony, I am no longer an adulterer because I've served the Lord Jesus Christ with my whole spirit. He wasn't an adulterer when he was a Pharisee. Okay, they had the law then. <laughs> but he was an adulterer in his heart until Jesus Christ was fully formed in his heart and fully served as the only spirit 
that he served in his inner man. That is what the Holy Ghost is dealing with with all of you. That there be no other God besides me, not necessarily with only Jesus sticker on your car or a picture of a cross in your living room or only having the Bible instead of the Quran in your house, but what spirit is influencing your heart. That's what makes you moral or immoral or clean or unclean in the new covenant. God wants a clean, spotless bride, book of Revelation. It is required that they be virgins to be married to the Lamb, it is written. What does that mean? That the inner man has no other connection to any other spirit except the Spirit of Christ. Now I tell you the truth, when that happens, you go right up. The reason why people are stuck in the earth is because you're yoked to other spirits, which means you're fornicating mm. with demons. You must 100% of the time. You must stop fornicating with evil spirits. And a lot of these are dazzling demons. There's such an ignorance in Christianity nowadays that they think that the spirit that they're obedient to might be even obedience to Jesus. Remember the final quest series, the whole army of Satan were Christians, born-again, charismatic Pentecostals, and the, the feces in the urine of the demon, they thought it was the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So people get offended when you tell them, no, you're actually fornicating and having sexual intercourse with demons, and that's not the Holy Spirit. No, what happened when Rick Joyner tried to tell them that in the final quest? They turned and began fighting him. Okay? So when you start to get loyal and actually pure, your enemies will be the members of your own household, it is written. They will call you an adulterer because they themselves are intimate with demon spirits fornicating in their beds of whoredom continuously. Amen. And it must be brought into the light and exposed. Otherwise, there's no true agape, which is the, Christ, the cross of Christ crucified in your lives. So there's a termination of these spirits, which is the altar work of the new covenant priest. You do it first in yourself, as it is written, I die daily. What are you dying to? The only things in you that can die or be shaken. And there's still much of that in all of us, which means the priesthood work is so neglected in the inner man and so foolish in the outer man, so wasteful in the outer man, so deceptive in the outer man. But in the inner man, there's a training. In the inner man, there's a training for the priesthood to perfect the inner man. That is the person that marries Jesus. The person that marries Jesus is the one without spot and wrinkle on the inside, therefore overflowing into the outside. But on the outside, if you notice like Jesus, they attack you with every accusation in the world. Joseph, every accusation in the world. Yet inwardly, he was the purest man in the Old Testament. Yet inwardly, Jesus Christ was fully God in the New Testament. And yet the argument remained outwardly. So, that outward argument is to get you to compromise the inward purity. They say, well, they already think that way about me. That's one of the demonic strategies. When they begin accusing you, that you use that as an excuse just to go into the very accusation. I have witnessed this for 17 years when people started to be attacked outwardly. That outward attack, that accusation, if it took root in their spirit, they began to practice the very thing they were accused of. 
It'll take the full armor of God in you and outside you to not let the temptations and the attacks of the evil ones take root in you. This is how you prove yourselves as mighty warriors. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If God be for us, who can be against us? Well, the Bible tells you the whole world will be against you. But since God's for you, it don't matter. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. In this world, you're going to have problems. Be of good cheer, which means rejoice and celebrate because I have overcome the world, which means you're going to have my deity on the inside. You're going to have Jesus in there. And Jesus is God, which means you can commune and fellowship with him. Revelation 3.20, all the time. Never break the feast. Never break the celebration. Always celebrating our divine union of Jesus on the inside. And you're going to deal with all kinds of crazy stuff on the outside and in yourself. But even in the self-nature, notice the Bible calls that the outside. Why? Because the born-again part of you was born again on the inside, inside the kingdom walls of Zion, as it's written. You've been planted as a seed in the Garden of Eden. So a part of you is on the inside of God. Oh, hallelujah. It's totally written in Scripture. Now the rest of you needs to get pulled into that dimension too, which is why it's written, until Christ be fully formed in you, because he's absolutely not. But he wants to be. That's our practice of continuous repentance. That's how we learn how to be priests. The Spirit was talking to me last night, and he said, You know, Rebecca, I have witnesses in my cloud who resisted sin to the point of shedding blood and all of their blood. And they gave their very lives in resisting sin. Yet right now, as I look around, I have so many, even the majority who are supposed to be in the army, on active duty, who can't, or who won't, I can't say can't, who won't, who, who won't even resist the sin of lust to the point of denying themselves a momentary pleasure. They won't even resist sin to the point of... Oh, Lord. He said it more vulgar than I would probably say it on here, which is probably my sin. But he's not happy with that behavior. He told me he has witnesses in his cloud who have resisted sin to the point of shedding their own blood and dying physically, gruesome deaths even. And yet these ones who are supposed to be in the army, and I say supposed to because where is everyone who's supposed to be at the front lines? Where are they? Why are there so few? Who can't even refrain from jerking off to pornography, and that's their biggest battle in their mind. Pathetic. That's pathetic. Where is the army? Who cares what God wants done? Where are the reinforcements? Are the people on earth that care 
for what God wants to do. Where are they? There's so few. So thankful for those of you who do. So thankful. You're treasured by God. But there's so few. I hope somebody hears us tonight. You're supposed to be at the front lines. Why? Ask yourself, what's worth it? What's worth your time? Say, what's worth my time? What's worth my attention, my focus, my discipline, my energy, my money, my time? Is God worth it to me? His plan, his dream, his ways, learning his ways. Isn't it worth the effort a little resisting of sin? It's a small thing. Those things that Christians these days think are the big battles, they're a very small thing. You just have to simply love God a little bit. Is it too much to ask you to love him even a little bit? Why don't you love him? Isn't he worthy of your love? It's too painful. He deserves better than that. He deserves so much better than what he's been given in this generation. I hope you change your heart change your mind and value the things of God he is so precious there's no better friend no better substance there's no better love than his love so let's learn to receive it and love him back with it and do those things he's asked us to do. Are we so self-focused on where we're at and the limitations and why I can't, why I can't go up, why I can't do this? Let's focus on Jesus. Jesus, let him be the focus of your life. And you'll find that when you do, it's much easier than you thought to rise on sapphire stones, to overcome sin, and to change your heart, change your mind, and become a new creature. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I think an appropriate response would be for everyone to just rededicate their lives to the Holy Ghost. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the blood of the everlasting covenant, just lead everyone 
in a prayer. Holy Spirit, we offer you our lives. Thank you for the application of the blood of Jesus, removing the impurities, and we rededicate our lives to the complete following of you, Holy Spirit, into all truth. We love you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for leading us and guiding us from glory to glory. Thank you for perfecting our attitude and our mindsets, removing the Laodicean lukewarmness of, of sin and punishment of sin and the, the lack of judgment and all the response of the lukewarmness towards your severities towards sin. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to, to burn it up in us and give us a fresh baptism of fire in those areas where we're deceived and lukewarm and not convicted and calloused and just plain evil and immoral that those areas be obliterated for your pleasure holy ghost where your temples and temples of none other we give you full permission holy spirit with your angel armies to attack constantly any other spirit that we're drawn to we're tempted by for you are a jealous consuming fire holy ghost in this place for everyone watching online just speak it out loud holy spirit i give you my life thank you for attacking my sins it is a demonstration of his love that he convicts us of sin righteousness and judgment to bring us into obedience to jesus christ to make him just like the master in attitude, in thought life, and in all actions, and in all deeds. Amen. We will present to Jesus Christ a virgin bride without spot and wrinkle. That is our obligation and our burden and our destiny in this generation. A celestial, perfected people that serve Jesus wholeheartedly, joyfully, without spot or wrinkle, in our spirit garments, soul garments, or flesh garments. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. We understand that and let it be produced in this company and these leaders and these Josephs together now to show the rest of the body of Christ what's available in celestial garments of perfection. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Glory. If you'd like to give an offering, you can click the links in the description. We bless you in the name of the Lord, and we'll see you tomorrow.